Well, good evening, everybody. Glad that you are here tonight as we continue on in our journey through the Bible. Just looking at the mountaintops and seeing the thread of God's love and God's direction upon God's people. And uh, you've hung with me through 30 lessons out of 32. Tonight is lesson number 31. Uh, one more lesson after this one to go, but thank you for joining me and joining us here. I want to say a welcome to those of you in the sanctuary here tonight. Those of you who are streaming with us tonight, thank you so much for joining us for Bible study. And we will probably also have a few out in the parking lot with an FM signal. So however you come tonight, we're thankful to be together as we uh, go to lesson number 31 in our study through God's precious word and just seeing his word from the mountaintop. So as I begin tonight, let's start with a word of prayer. Our Father, our God, thank you that we are together in your house tonight. Father, thank you that you always meet us, and we thank you, Father, that the book of Revelation teaches us that whenever we open your word, we instantly have a blessing upon us as we read your word. I certainly know that is true for the book of Revelation, but I believe that is true throughout the Bible, Lord. Whenever we implant your word in our heart and our mind and allow you to lead us, Father, we know that you are blessing us and giving us your guidance as we live life under your grace and under your love. So, Father, I thank you for everyone who joins us tonight for Bible study. I thank you for those here in the sanctuary. I thank you, Lord, for those who are uh, streaming with us and those in the parking lot, Lord, through an FM signal. We join together to be touched by your word. Lord, I pray that you pull up beside us and you be the one truly, Lord, who teaches us. Thank you for allowing me to be the earthly vessel of a teacher. But I pray, Father, that through my lips you will teach us. We love you, Lord, and we know that your banner over us is love. And we're thankful to be together under your grace and blessing. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight, as we start with Lesson 31, we are under the general heading of the general letters. And so we're looking at the letters that are not Pauline letters. They're not written by St. Paul, but written by others. We're drawing very quickly to the end of the Bible here. And tonight, as we look at the thread of love that runs through the Bible, we come to the next to last lesson. We're going to take a close look at three little books of the Bible written by the same person. We're going to look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So as you go toward the end of your New Testament, you will find those three little books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now, in our study through the Bible, we have covered some very deeply theological books, including Romans and Ephesians. These three little letters were written by the old disciple John, uh, and they're very practical in nature. My prayer is that as I give you just the mountaintop view of these three letters, that it will cause you to study them more deeply and read them through. And even if you read all three of them, it will not take very long because they're not long in length, but they're deep in meaning and they're great uh, to study and to see how they guide us and lead us. They're very practical in nature. And these words address matters of the church. And what is so interesting about the living Word of God, most of the media that we read today, in fact, all of the media outside of the Bible is passing news. What's current today is old news tomorrow. That is not true for the living Word of God. What was written 2,000 years ago is just as alive and just as real today as it was then. It's as real and modern as if it were written this morning. So what we're going to read was applicable to the church 
2,000 years ago, and it applies to our church and to our lives tonight just as much. Now, of course, the author of these letters is a major biblical writer. As a young man, John left the fishing profession along with his brother James, and they followed Jesus Christ as one of the 12 disciples, John being one, James being one, and 10 more disciples joined as well. John himself saw Jesus' miracles. John heard Jesus' words. John was the one, according to the Gospel of John, who reclined on Jesus' chest at the Passover from which was drawn the Lord's Supper. Uh, Also, John was the disciple who was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died for our sin. John is the one to whom Jesus entrusted the care of his mother uh, when they were at the cross that fateful day taking care of our sin. Well, John has five writings in our Bibles. Uh, The New Testament has five books attributed to this disciple. Remember that he is a long-lived disciple. Uh, The Gospel of John was written by this disciple. The book of the Revelation was written by this disciple. And then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, written by him as well. Now, the Although John wrote all, th- all five of these books in the latter part of his life, the Gospel of John was the first thing that he wrote that we find in our New Testament. If you remember, John being a disciple of Jesus, after the cross, after the resurrection, some 50 years passed, and then God inspired John to write the Gospel, to write the biography of Jesus. If you're visiting with us tonight, uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, or you're just coming on board with us, I am preaching through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings. I'd love for you to drop in and join us for that study as well. But the Gospel was the first book that John wrote contained in our New Testament, and he was an older man then, 50 years after he'd walked with Jesus, and so he was probably somewhere in the range of 70, maybe going on toward 80 years old when he wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, And then also, as we look at these letters, we see 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These letters were written last in his life. He was an old, old man when he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, probably approaching maybe even past 90 years old, an incredibly old age for a man 2,000 years ago. Most people didn't live much past 40 years old in that day. So to be 90-plus was a miracle and a blessing of God. Well, let me give you a little history before we move into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as we study that tonight. As John aged, he continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire, and the government disliked him. The government was not happy with his life and with his preaching in the Roman Empire. Well, in A.D. 81, A mean-spirited man took over as the ruler of the Roman Empire. His name was Domitian, and he ruled 15 years within the Roman Empire. So he ruled uh, from 81 A.D. to 96 A.D. Within that time frame of 15 years, we don't know exactly how long, but within that time frame of 15 years, Domitian had John the disciple, John the preacher, exiled to a prison island called Patmos. He took him out of Roman society. He said he's going to take John's preaching out of the Roman Empire, and he exiled him to the island of Patmos. And 
Certainly, John was simply dumped ashore. He was left to live there by himself as long as his life went on. And it was presumed, this being a prison island, that John would simply die there one day. He was going to live alone until his death. Well, of course, we know that in the course of his time on that prison island of Patmos, God gave him the book of the Revelation. That's where Revelation was written. So the Gospel of John was written first, then he was exiled to Patmos. That's where God gave him the book of the Revelation, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what happens according to history. After his years on Patmos, Expecting to die there, something miraculous took place. The emperor Domitian died, and John is retrieved off of the island, and he's brought back to the Roman Empire. He's taken off of the island. His prison sentence was commuted. And the historians of that ancient day, Josephus, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, those historians all say that old, old John came off of that prison island and came back to the city and back to the church of Ephesus. And that's where he lived and that's where he stayed toward the end of his life. He was given tremendous respect by the Christians of his day because of his extended age, his wisdom, but also because he As far as the world knew, and I'm sure this is true, he was the last living disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the last one who literally walked with Jesus and literally heard his voice and saw his miracles. And so the church gave him great honor, great respect because of who he was within the church's population. Well, it's during these last days after he left the island of Patmos while he was an old man living uh, amongst the churches uh, of Ephesus and the people who lived there, that's when he wrote these three letters. So as we open our Bibles tonight, I want you to open with me now to 1 John. We'll take a brief look at all three of these letters. 1 John He uses the phrase, little children, as he addresses the church to whom he is writing. He calls them little children nine times. And certainly he is so old that he has earned that right. All of the Christians who were living in this day, in this age, were absolutely much younger than him, certainly much less experienced than he was. And so he had earned the right to call the Christians of his day little children But as we concentrate on 1 John, I want to take just a few minutes and let's first begin by asking, why did John write this letter of 1 John? Well, do you remember hearing accounts of people who have somehow entered into a coma and they lived in a coma for months or even years and finally they wake up and they find a whole new different world? In fact, I believe that literally is called the Rip Van Winkle effect. Uh, Someone who is in a coma, they're there for so long that when they wake up, family has changed, the world has changed, things are different than they used to be. Maybe someone went into a coma with a dial-up phone and they wake up and see us using cell phones. Well, that's exactly what happens as John had been removed from society for many years up to maybe 15 years, and when he came back, he had found so many things had changed. Primarily, what he found had changed was how the church was operating and what the church was being taught. Uh, and, and 
as he came back to the church, he found out that what they were being taught was for the worse. It was not for the better. They had gotten off track in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So John, taken off of Patmos, sadly finds a church that was not abiding by the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers had crept into the church, had gotten a foothold in the church, and they were teaching a destructive doctrine in the church when John comes back uh, to the Roman Empire. So these young Christians were living on lies. They were not learning the truth, uh, and it upset John greatly. So the old disciple John writes this letter of 1 John, to get the church back on track in the gospel of the Lord. A false doctrine had crept into the church over the years that John was gone. That false doctrine is called Gnosticism. We've talked about it before in other sermons, but G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. And basically what Gnosticism taught the church is that all matter, even human life, human body matter, is evil. Uh, Gnostics despise the human body. They just believe that the human body composed of flesh and bone and cells, all of our human body was created out of evil and we lived in an evil human flesh. So the Gnostics taught that the body was evil but they also taught that inside us lived a clean spirit. Uh, so the church had gotten well off track uh, just the opposite, really. Our body can be used for good, but within us lives, when we are not saved, we have a spirit that's unclean, a spirit of sin, a spirit that needs to be saved through our God. So here's how the teaching hurt the early church. Gnostics taught that bodies, human bodies, are so evil that God would never even consider sending us His Son, sending the Savior to us in, in the flesh of a human body. They denied His incarnation. Uh, they denied His humanity. They denied the fact that Jesus was born in the manger as a human baby, having a human body, growing up through His early years and His teen years into His adulthood in a human body. Uh, they, they were denying the fact that a human had to die in order to atone for the sin of all humans. That's what God tells us, is that He sent His Son as a human being. God Himself, through Jesus Christ, took on flesh, becoming fully a human being, so that He, as a human, could die to forgive all humans of our sin, of our shortcoming. But... If it were true that Jesus were not a human person, if, if Jesus just pretended, so to speak, to be human, then his death on the cross would be worthless because he would not be a human dying for humans. So we would not fully be extended forgiveness if a human being did not die for us. So John, the old disciple, believed that that huge lie, that, that flesh was evil and that Jesus was not fully human. That, that lie had to be taken out of the church. That lie had to be extracted. It was a cancer in the church, and it had to be taken out. So in 1 John, he stands up for his Lord and for his Master, the one he'd loved, the one he had known, the one he'd walked with, uh, whom he literally touched as the Savior and as the Son of God. So we want us to 
take a look at, as we look at 1 John, I want you to just begin to read this book with me tonight. We're going to look at the first three verses. So look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And that's the beginning of the book. It reads like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in verse 1, as John opens this little letter of 1 John, he says, I have four memories of my Savior, Jesus Christ, from 60 years ago. Four memories I have of walking with Him, being with Him, holding on to Him. Here are my memories. Number one, out of the four, he said, I heard with my own ears the words Jesus preached with his human voice. Number two, he said, I saw with my own eyes Jesus, the Son of God, in absolute human form. Thirdly, he says, I was there for his ministry. I walked with him. I, w- I was with him throughout his days of ministry on this earth. And fourthly, and this is kind of the final nail that seals it all together, he says, I have handled him. I have touched him. I have felt his skin. I have felt the bone under his skin. I have touched the very Son of God. Absolutely, he is of human flesh. Now, a true human being in whom there was no sin... John is affirming Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the perfect Son of God, abiding in human flesh. And as a man, he was bruised, and he was beaten, and he was nailed to a cross. He took that punishment of sin upon himself truly as a human being that we might have forgiveness as human beings, that we might have life with him and through him. And then John also attests that he was bodily raised from the dead by the power of God. I want you to read through the entirety of 1 John. There are a couple of famous verses, especially that we hear over and over again. Uh, two verses I want to give you tonight before we move on. And that's 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. I love this verse. It says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we know that when Jesus Christ lives in our heart, nothing of the world, not even Satan himself, can come against us uh, and win the battle because Jesus the Christ lives in us. And then another verse I want you to take note of is in chapter 4. In fact, it's several verses. Look at verses 15 and 16. In chapter 4 of 1 John, he writes, "Whosoever, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. 
Three of the most important words that we hear repeated over and over, three of the words that our children learn, first of all, in the Bible is God is love, coming from 1 John. Then look on down to verse 18 of chapter 4. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us us how wonderful these words are but John is attesting to the truth and to the fact that Jesus Christ indeed as he walked among us was 100% human as well as 100% God himself and he says as we accept him as our savior we live in him he lives in us and he gives us forgiveness and eternal life Read all of 1 John. Maybe tonight devotionally or in the morning, read the entirety of 1 John. Well, we move on to 2 John now. In 2 John, the old apostle makes the point that God's truth must be preached in the church. And when the truth is explained and proclaimed within the body of the church, that then gives us the passion and the power to proclaim the church outside of these doors to proclaim the love of Christ outside of the church's doors yes we do preach and teach and and bask in the love of Christ as we gather here as the congregation but how important we know it is that not only do we hear it and enjoy it here but we are then commissioned to take it out of here into the world that's one of the main points of second John is that we are to take the truth into the world extending God's love to the unsaved to those who need to be hungry and thirsty for the word of God and the truth of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ And in 2 John, he makes this point. Love cannot truly exist in the church until we are on track in truth. And so the church has to hear the truth in order for us to truly be able to love others. Where do we find ultimate truth? We find it here within God's Word. This is the source of ultimate truth. This is the source of moral absolutes. We can drive a stake down on the truth of our God because this is His revealed Word and all of it is truth. So this is centermost within the teaching of the church as we worship and love our God through Jesus Christ. Love can't exist until we exist in the truth of God. If the truth of the Word is compromised, then the love and the outreach of the church is going to falter and it's going to fail. We have to abide in the truth for us to be effective in taking the love of Christ outside of these doors to a world that desperately needs it. Now, in 2nd and 3rd John, what we have here are the shortest writings of the New Testament. Both of these books, 2nd and 3rd John, are less than 300 Greek words. They're very short, but even though they're short in length, they pack a huge punch of truth in what John is writing. And they also punch a great deal of the authority of the old apostle, the old disciple who is writing the words. So I want us to read six verses 
of 2 John as we think about the authority of the disciple and the truth of God that must exist within the church so that the love of God can leave the church and go out into the world to offer salvation to all who need Jesus as Savior. So let's look at 2 John, the first six verses, uh, as we see this mountaintop view of this book of the Bible. He calls himself the elder, you'll notice, as he opens up uh, the, this second letter of John. And certainly he has deserved that title. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and I, not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever." Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another and this is love that we walk after his commandments this is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning ye should walk in it well you'll notice as I wrote those as I read those six verses uh, we see that the words love and truth tied together they have to abide together if we're going to express love of God we have to be within the truth of God. You cannot separate truth from love. There's no way that we can have this squishy kind of love that has no truth in it or no truth as its foundation. And so within God's word, particularly in the book of 2 John, he ties those words together. If you're truly going to love, then you must be abiding in the truth of God's word. Very important words for us. You'll notice here as the book opens at 2 John, that John calls himself the elder. The Greek word for the elder is presbyteros, and that can mean two things. Presbyteros can mean either elevated in age or elevated in authority and the office which you have. Well, I think John means both. He was elevated in age, perhaps past 90 years old. He was also elevated in authority. He had walked and talked with Jesus the Christ. He had witnessed miracles and heard his sermons. So he had the authority to address the Savior. So John's word as the old disciple carries great truth and great authority in the church of his day and in the church of today uh, as we have his word in the Bible. I want you to notice in 2 John that he's writing to one person. He's writing to someone he calls the elect lady. Probably she was uh, an influential leader in the Ephesian church. And of course, again, I want to remind you that churches in this day and age were not like this sanctuary. Churches met in homes. Churches met in small group. 
uh, church buildings really didn't begin to the third or fourth century AD. So he's writing to an elect lady or the elect lady, probably the leader of a home group. And she was the one who had established that church within her home. She was the leader of that church body. And so he sends this letter to her. It was to be sent to her, but I imagine also it was be to be disseminated throughout the church family, the church body, so that all would know what the old disciple John wrote to the church. But he begins with one person, the elect lady. In verses 1 through 3 of 2 John, again, you're going to see one word repeated four times. The word is truth. John says, I love all people who love and know the truth of the Lord Jesus and who he is. So in this apostle's mind and in his heart, he is stating when we all agree on the truth of Jesus Christ, when we all agree that he is the way and the truth and the life and no man will come to the Father but by him, when we agree on that truth, then we truly can take that love and that gospel into the world that the lost may be saved. But the lost cannot be saved until we take the true truth of Jesus Christ from the church into the world. Well, we move to the last book we study tonight, the little short book of 3 John. Now, in 3 John, he also calls himself the elder in this letter. Again, he is a very old man, an extreme rarity of the day. And 3 John is a very affirmative and positive letter, uh, and it's different from First and Second John. In First and Second John, you will find that the letter is corrective in some ways. It's offering correction to the church and correction to the, the to the believers that they are to come back to the truth, so they could take love out into the world. So in in First and Second John, we see a corrective nature in the letters of John. First John, the old disciple, here's how he corrects the church. He says, number one, church, do not accept false teaching. Secondly, do not step out of the word of God. Thirdly, do not remain immature in your faith. Grow up in maturity as you serve and love and know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then also, fourthly, in First John, he is teaching the church, do not love the world. Love God. Love God with all of your heart. Love God with everything that you have. You have to live in the world, but don't live of the world. Live in such a way that you have to live in the world, but live with the love for the Lord that, uh, that guides every step that you take. Second John is also corrective a bit in nature. It speaks out about not hosting, not listening to people who have strayed from the truth. Do not invite false teachers into your church body. Do not allow your pulpit to be uh, taken by someone who is going to teach a lie to the church. Love, he says again in 2 John, begins in truth. But 3 John starts on a very different note. It's very personal. It's written to a man whose name is Gaius. He is a Christian believer. He is a servant in the early church. And basically, John's word to Gaius is this. You, friend, have done it right. You have lived the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are walking in truth. You are walking in the word in the way that brings honor to God. And he says to Gaius, 
Uh, you are a great minister within the church body. You're a mentor as to how others are to be doing ministry as they watch you. As they see you doing ministry right, they're being drawn into doing ministry themselves in a right and correct way, walking in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know nothing about Gaius. Gaius was a very common name in that day and age. So we know nothing else about this man. But I want us to take a look at the beginning of 3 John. Again, very short. It's only 13 verses long. But let's look at the first four verses tonight. So as we see these words, in fact, it's 14 verses long. Let me correct myself. But as we see these words, uh, just notice the first four verses tonight. Read the whole book, the whole 14 verses uh, as soon as you can. But here's the third uh, letter of John as he addresses it to Gaius. Verse 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So he's congratulating, thanking Gaius that he is setting the example for other young Christians that they are to walk in the truth because when you walk in truth, then and only then can you walk in love. Then and only then can you take the gospel out of the doors of the church. You have to be walking in the truth. I love the thought of verse 2 of Third John. John says, Gaius, I hope that your earthly health matches your spiritual health. You are healthy in spirit. You're doing a great thing in the church. My prayer for you, Gaius, is that you're healthy physically as much as you're healthy in your heart. And so what he's saying is if you truly want to be healthy, and of course we know that health is emphasized this day and age. Almost every other commercial that you see on TV in some way is tied to our health. Buy this machine or this treadmill or buy this food, whatever, makes you healthier. We know that that is so emphasized. But good health truly doesn't begin with vitamins or exercise or diet. True good health begins on the inside. True good health begins in your spirit. And the way to have true good health is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and to walk in His Word and to minister in His love. That is the truest centerpiece of health in our life. And then good health will spring from that. And I do believe that it also affects our earthly physical health. When we're healthy on the inside, it will also affect our health on the outside. I love that thought. Well, the thread of the Bible is the love of God. The thread of the Bible, as we've seen it from Genesis through now 3 John, is the truth of God that runs throughout His Word. It's important that we know this truth because this truth is our armor that allows us to live in the love of God and allows us to be ministers and witnesses and representatives of the love of Jesus Christ. That thread of the Bible of truth and love runs all the way through. And God desires that we live in that love and live in that truth. And we want to experience it within the church, the family of the living Lord. 
and we want to have a rich and wonderful experience of sharing that love together, which then pushes us into the world with the love of God toward others, especially toward the unsaved. Well, that concludes the lesson for tonight. Thank you for being a part of that. And we will share next week the very last lesson uh, of God's Word, and that is the book of the Revelation. I'm sure some of you have been waiting on that message, but we will talk about and look at the high points of the book of the Revelation next week as we share the last lesson uh, of the thread of the Bible together. God bless you for being with us. Streamers, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Those on the FM signal, thank you. And again, church, thank you for being here with us as we hear the Word of God. May God bless you. Good night.